First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you're doing. The world needs us. The world needs people that are a little bit crazy, right? And if, if you say, I'm not crazy, odds are you don't know you're crazy. <laughs> because you're here and you're doing startup stuff and you know your mama shouldn't have let you do it, right? But thank you for doing it. It's hard, so it makes it fun. I mean, if it was easy, why would you want to do it? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesoming's podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. to get started with our evening session. So our next speaker is uh, Steve Huey, who I forgot to mention earlier, um, I don't think I mentioned it, but Elizabeth, our first speaker, was the 2017 Mentor of the Year in the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame. Still very well deserved. And in 2018, our Mentor of the Year is uh, Steve Huey. So. Thank you. Some Hall of Fame mentors today, um, but Steve, uh, I think is blood session many times on this retreat. Couple, I don't, I couple. Don't know the number, but it's more than two. Several. Probably several is a better answer. Some, yeah, several. And and I and I make you a promise, double your double my speaking fee guarantee. If you don't like no. my speech, I'll give you twice what I'm getting paid back. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll, uh, this is uh, fun, exciting, and a little bit crazy all at the same time, which makes it perfect. Right? So in 2008, uh, my brother and I went to see my dad. My, now, my dad was, was doing fine. No one expected that uh, a month later he would pass away. But something weird was happening with him. And he started giving away all his stuff. And for the first time, he basically wanted to give us advice. Um, and it is very interesting. My dad said, uh, this is 2008, he said, God help you if the world changes as much during your lifetime as it did during mine. Now, my dad was born in 1929, and he passed away in 2008. So if he was here today, I think we could tell him that God needs to help us because it's changing a lot faster, right? So what's funny is uh, on the day he said this, it was a Sunday, and if you'd have picked up the New York Times, the Sunday edition, more information was printed in that New York Times than in the 400 years uh, after the Gutenberg printed his first Bible. That's how much information hit the streets in the New York Times alone. Today, uh, the sum of all technical knowledge is, is doubling in less than 12 months. 90%, 90% of the world's data has been created in just the last 10 years. So yeah, uh, things are changing a lot. Well, Lucky for us, uh, the guy, the gentleman who did the quote, uh, if you don't study history, then you'll be doomed to repeat it. And I say it was a guy who was credited, right? 
And ladies, you know that it was really a woman who said it, but guys got credit for it back then. Um, and so no one studies history, so even though all this is changing, it's all the same. We are, we are predictably irrational human beings. And so there's a light at the end of our changing tunnel. I have seen most of this before two or three times, and I would imagine that most of you have seen it at least once, right? Oh, inflation's coming. Oh, valuations aren't as big as they said they would be. People aren't going to throw you money, right? Uh, people don't want to just invest in an idea. What else? Oh, how about this one? Customers aren't coming to you saying, hey, I'd like to use your product. I know it's unproven, but I'll do it anyway because of all this doom and gloom. I don't know about you guys, but I've never had that stuff happen to me anyway because we live here in the middle of the country. And being in the middle of the country is like being in the middle of a rowboat, it just doesn't sway as much. And that's a good thing for us. So even though it's not rocking as much as it would be if you were in Silicon Valley or in New York or wherever, there is going to be some ramifications of the public markets going away, of E rounds and X rounds not being funded at the same rate. Now, Elizabeth made a very good point. There is still a huge overhang. I mean, there's lots of dollars out there. But I'd like to, I'd like to convince you of or tell you about two things that have been top of mind to me since uh, a lot of this stuff has started to change. You know, the, the VCs sent out their, their presentations and it's the batten down the hatches. Mm -hmm. All the crap is gonna hit the fan. Get profitable. Uh, you know, don't spend all your money. So there's two big myths. There's two big myths in business or in startup world that I'd like to talk about. So, so for all of you keeping track, that was the intro. So the first myth, business is really complicated. How many people really think this is complicated? It's easy. Business is easy. You make a product, you sell a product, you collect the money, you pay the people that help you build the product. Hopefully you have a little bit left over to pay the people that loaned you the money to build the product. And hopefully, after you pay them, you have a little bit of money left over to pay yourself. And you do it because you enjoy it. But business is actually much easier than that even. And you said, Steve, you're crazy. And yeah, of course I am. But uh, there's four building blocks to business. And this is the thing that I, I like to talk to people about. And I usually talk to people about it because they make mistakes in hiring. And the, the thing that we do that's the most expensive anymore is we don't build big factories. Uh, we rent space, that usually gets us into trouble, but we hire people. And then we have the wrong priorities sometimes. What I wanna do is I wanna to talk to you about the four building blocks of any company, okay? There's four groups. There's people that sell your product, sales and marketing. Call that group one. Let's say you're successful. There's people that service the customer and fulfill the needs of the product. That's group two, that's operations. There's people that build the product. Think about that as the triangle. And then there's uh, the fourth block is the foundation of a lot of it. It's, I like to call it synchronicity systems. Now that goes against my principle of keeping it really simple. Just call it admin systems. Uh, financial reporting, your financial statements, the accounting people, the HR people, that, those people go in that group. But if you think about it as synchronicity systems, what are the synchronicity systems supposed to do? It's supposed to keep us all going in the same direction, right? All right, so if you have those four boxes and 
those four boxes, the people that do product are a little fulcrum. Sales and operations are the two little kids that sit on the teeter-totter. You always want sales to be the fat little kid, me, when I was little. And I know some of you are thinking, me now. I told Brian, I said, these shirts are great. They feel good, but they shrank right in the middle during COVID. Um, okay, so, so what you, when you're building your company, you always want sales to overweight operations and you want your fulcrum, the product people to be just big enough to create a good ride, but not huge. And I've seen companies fail because they overinvested in product. I've seen companies fail because their operations team was never let the sales team get off, you know, put their feet on the ground. And I've seen companies fail because there was no synchronicity systems or admin systems. You gotta have a, the right amount of each. And I always say, hey, think about it as a teeter-totter and put me in the sales and marketing camp even though you don't want me talking to customers or prospects ever, right? Because I'm bad at that. So business is not hard. If you think about these four, four buckets, you invest your time in these four buckets slightly differently given what stage your company's in. If you're pre-revenue, where do you think most of your investment is? I'm gonna pick on somebody that I love. Matt, why don't you tell us? If you're pre-revenue, where do you spend most of your time, energy, and effort? Either product or sales. Product, yeah. You gotta build a product before you can sell it, right? So, so one of my best friends, he was the best man at my wedding, Eric Schreiner was the CTO of probably every company I'll ever start ever again in my life. Uh, he always got mad at me. He's like, well, Steve, I'm doing all the work. I'm like, well, Eric, we don't have any revenue yet. You, we don't even have a product. You gotta build the product before I can sell it. And you know I'm not gonna sell it, so you, know, you gotta at least build the product. So I really emphasize, if you're zero revenue to maybe 100K, and it's always different because it depends on how much your product costs and all that stuff, you really focus on the product and maybe, maybe you also have some sales resources in there. Now let's say you get to 100K in revenue. You now have to, you have to introduce, you have to introduce that next bucket which is the operations people, even if that's yourself. You gotta spend some of your time on operations so that you can deliver the product to the customer and they get massive amounts of value. Now let's say you're, you're in the top 4% of all companies in the United States and you make it over a million. Now your buckets are a little bit different. On your way, on your way to past 100,000 towards a million, you have to invest in administrative stuff. You have to have accounting. You have to have, you'll probably need people to help you with human resources. And so that bottom thing comes in and you make it past a million. Now you're spending more on customer support and customer service, less on product because your product, if you're past a million, you might, you might have a cheap product market fit. Maybe you haven't. I've known a couple companies that got past a million and they're still trying to figure out what their product is. So you can see, if you just keep thinking about, there's only four elements like earth, wind, and fire. Yep, water. Thanks, man. You just bailed me out because I was like, what the hell's the fourth? <laughs> I, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't remember there, and I was like, no, no, I, I was about dying, and I was like, oh, geez, I forgot that one. So you saved me, and I appreciate it. So if you think about it in those four buckets, you're really just changing how much time, energy, and effort you as the founder slash CEO are spending in those four buckets. Now, if we were in a nice, and this is a hint, air-conditioned, <laughs> room with a projector, I would have slides that would show this beautifully. 
but you're gonna have to use your imagination. And I'll. Warning, Steve, you <laughs> I'm just kidding with you, man. I don't need the projector as much as maybe the air conditioning. <laughs> okay. I have two volunteers. Anybody? Steve, I got Bueller, Bueller, come on. Whoever. I, I don't have to pick you. Just come up here. You know, I, you know, I love this. You know, I love you guys anyway, right? Okay, so here's here's what we're gonna do. This is a top secret. It's a top secret top secret thing. No one listen. Okay. So here is here is my my uh, reason why. Please stay where you are if you can. Okay. This is hard, but I'm I'm appreciative. So here is here is what I why I think that the minute you get the third person in your company, you need to spend time on admin systems or synchronicity systems because if I, and I, I promote having a meeting once every 90 days where you all come back and answer six primary organizational questions which we can talk about later but you do it because when you're going off even these guys are really good they're your best friends usually because they're part of, they're almost co-founders and even at this stage, if you don't come back together, if you come on back together and, and lock in on what your goals are for the next 90 days, it's gonna look like that. Now, let's say that, come, come back this way, we're gonna start over. Sure. Let's say you have good synchronicity systems, meaning you've picked out KPIs, goals, objectives, blah, blah, blah. You know what the numbers are, you get down and you answer the six key questions. What do we, why do we exist? How are we going to win? What do we do? Who does what now? Uh, who does what? What do you believe in? And there's always one more that I forget because I'm old. So now reverse it. Three steps forward, one step to the left and right. One, two, three, four. See, and this is the thing that I would say also happens. Even if you do this stuff exactly right, every 90 days, people are gonna drift anyway. And so you gotta bring them back together. Now this was my like little side, it's a sidebar yeah. for this because I think this is one of the biggest problems that companies face even at a very young age. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate all your hard work. Bobby, what are you Thank you so much. Three. Thank you so much. All right. Oh, hey, 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 oh, oh, oh. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, you can't leave, can't leave them hanging. All right, so that's my sidebar. Okay, so the myth number one is that business is complicated. It really isn't complicated. You gotta work to keep it simple. People love to make it complicated for many reasons. If I'm a consultant, I want to use buzzwords because you're like, oh man, that guy's smart. I didn't know what that buzzword meant. What the hell's a KPI? Data room. <laughs> oh, a data room. Data room was a, oh, what, what the hell's a data room? Well, it's a fancy term that I told, or I, someone spoke once, and because you didn't hear it, and you don't know what it is, I'm gonna act like you're stupid. Oh, I'm sorry, I was slipping into being an engineer. Um, you know, engineers do this. They talk in acronyms. Who here is an engineer, and who here is normal humans? Yeah, yeah. I God, I love you guys that are engineers, and I do. But you use acronyms. I don't know what they are. I mean, I haven't coded since 1986. So the the thing that I would encourage you to do during this time of craziness, which isn't crazy because it always happens, right? Every, every what? Every 10 years? Every 10 years? Yeah, maybe. I, it, it looks like it's on that cycle. Just keep everything simple. Don't tell people what your KPIs are. KPIs are too complicated. What's your number that tells you the business is doing good versus bad? That's really what a KPI is, but have them. All right, so what about myth number two? So myth number two is really centered around cash, ca no one's throwing cash at you, right? 
supposedly batten down your hatches. We're not gonna throw cash at you. You're not gonna have $5 billion to start your putting mustaches on images company. Yeah, I, I almost, I had the term sheet out, Elizabeth was about to sign and then everything blew up. Uh huh. So the myth is really around, there's, there's a certain way you gotta raise or build a business. And I'd like to tell you uh, about my friend Dean. I, lo I love Dean, okay? One of my closest friends. Dean raised money from absolutely no one. He was a waiter at a restaurant and he worked at restaurant at night and did his business during the day. So uh, the story of Dean is a long one, but I'll tell you just two stories that I hope will shed light on Dean. So Dean was a subcontractor of a subcontractor for uh, a company that was helping the Marines fix some of its technology. And they had six training helicopters, of which only five, or only one was working, and the other five were grounded because the radio system that they used to have all the trainees uh, be able to talk and hear the instructor went out on five of their six. One was still working. And so um, these guys, all the bigwigs were getting ready to go to a big brassy lunch and Dean was the little guy, and they said, well, Dean, they brought the radio thing in, set it on the conference room table, and said, hey, Dean, uh, here's this problem. What do you think? Do you think, and Dean's like, well, I, I think I might be able to fix it. And they go, okay, cool. Uh, you're gonna need to take that back with you? He goes, no, just give me a screwdriver and I'll see you after lunch. And he had fixed it before they came back from lunch, and he won the contract, and that's what started his business. So that's, that's, that's how Dean's business got started. So Dean calls me, it was about two months ago, he calls me. Now, Dean is doing very well. He's been doing very well for many years. He never took any money, no investment. He worked as a waiter, et cetera, et cetera. So Dean calls me, he's like, oh, Steve, I got a big problem. You gotta call me back. And I'm like, oh shit, what's wrong with Dean? So I call him back, he goes, yeah, Steve, I got this problem. Do you think I should have black leather or brown leather for the seats in my new plane. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good friend to have. He flew me into Cuba and uh, we had a good time. <laughs> Dean has a business that does regularly several million dollars a year. He pays 22 people to fix government hardware. One time I called him, I said, what's that noise in the background? He's like, oh, hold on, I'll turn it off. Oh, I was an F-15, I'm in, I'm in South Korea fixing a, the uh, avionics on an F-15. Cool. Uh, what'd you need? Uh, and I was just gonna see if you were available for lunch, but apparently you're not. I'll be back tomorrow. Um, so Dean, Dean didn't do the normal thing. He didn't raise venture capital. He didn't get lots of investors. He kept his night job and he did it. And this is the thing that I tell you, there's many ways to, raise, to build a company. You don't have to get angel investors to back you to then go and get a, C, a true seed round that then goes to an A round that goes to the next round, goes to the next round, etc. In uh, times where money is scarce and valuations are really bad, would you rather sell your company, the stock in your company, or sell the product your company makes? And you always wanna sell the product your company makes. At Capture, which I'm not gonna say is a grand slam home run success because they're still working on it. But uh, at Capture, we had, we the first year our gross margin was 14%. So you can't really sell your way into investment dollars at that point, because you're only getting 14 cents on the dollar. The next year was 50%. Now you can start doing stuff with that. 
If you're running your company and you're low on cash, what's the very first thing you should do? God, I, I, I don't know where, I can't, I can't see where you are because it's dark, but I'd come over and just, kiss you. I was just on your team. Oh, I'd come over and kiss you, but then, you know. We were just teammates. My wife would get upset. Um, you sell more. I, I'll tell you this quick story. In, in the days I was CEO of Capture, I went, on, I went away for Christmas. And uh, I, had a, I had a KPI report. Yeah, I had a fancy report. But I used to know to the penny how much money we would spend each month, and I could get three numbers and know that we were okay on cash. And so I went a week, I was on vacation a week, and because it was Christmas, I hadn't checked uh, the cash stuff. I came back, it was January 6th, and the guy who was the senior accountant, he comes to me and goes, Steve, uh, <clears throat> We only have one, we only have, um, he gave me the number and I'm like, oh my God, we only have that much cash? He goes, yeah. I said, are you sure? He's like, I could tell that he was sure because his face was totally white and he was normally a very well tanned individual. And he, I said, okay, well double check it. And he went away and I literally, I literally is like, I, I got the one knee and I'm like, Oh my God, I committed the worst sin in the world. I'm a CEO and I ran a cash. Then all of a sudden I realized that the number he gave me was actually worth two payrolls. I was like, oh, thank God, I got four weeks. I can do, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got all we need. So then I, having four weeks of cash instead of just a week and a half, I said, well, what's our receivables? A million two. I'm like, what? Who hasn't been collecting receivables? You collect a million two, and that took us, that was enough cash for four months. So sell more, yeah, but collect your receivables. Four months were still not enough because higher ed goes on a two payment a year system, sort of like farming. So we were gonna be out of cash two months before everything reset. So the next thing we did was we went to our best customers and we said, hey, you're gonna sign for next year, right? Yep. Do you have any budget money left? Would you like to prepay? And sure, sure as I'm standing here, Notice how I edited that for you. Thank you, Brian. Um, we got three clients to prepay. Now we made it to the end, just by a little bit, but we made it. There are so many ways for you to get cash. Collect your receivables, get clients to prepay. If you're not in revenue yet and you wanna start your business, keep your day job. Keep your day job. You need engineering talent. And this goes for, you need business talent, although I've yet to find a really smart engineer starting a company that needed my help. Um, you need design talent. Go get those people, get, get, get that engineering talent you need if you're a business person. Spend this very wisely, but find your co-founder and get them to work with you for free and get your first product. Get something sellable. Don't hire somebody. I know that sounds bad, but first try to use contract labor or outsource it. I, I happen to know this firm that does outsource engineering. So does anyone around the campfire have one sneaky cool way to get resources for your startup without pulling out your checkbook? that I have not said, yeah, um, Miss Elizabeth. So one of the cool things- Dare I say queen. No, please. Um, so apparently lipstick sales are inversely, uh, inversely related to the economy. So the economy goes to hell in a handbasket and lipstick sales actually go up. 
because it's a small little thing that people can buy and feel better. And so the question is, is there a lipstick version of your product? That's excellent. That people will still pay for. That's small and targeted. That's excellent. It, that's an excellent idea because it, that introduces people to your product or your service or you. You land and expand because mm -hmm. you earn their trust. Everybody hear of Obama O's and McCain, whatever? It was uh, Airbnb sold uh, cereal boxes during that election to raise or to help pay off some of their credit card debt so they could keep going. And part of the reason that they got funded was because the guy called them and he said, you guys are like cockroaches, you just won't die. I'm going to invest my money in you because I, I have faith that you'll figure it out, right? So these things are there. Now, we just talked about a bunch of stuff that you can do to raise money for your business or support your business and the resources you need without going down a traditional route. There's nothing wrong with going down the traditional route. You just gotta know what you want. So I, I will post my slides, which do a lot better job than me walking around ranting in front of a campfire. In there is a story about the Mexican fisherman. And I'm not going to do it justice, but uh, I encourage you to read this because this is actually a case study or a story that they share with students at the Harvard Business School. Sort of like that book, what they don't teach you at the Harvard Business School. They actually teach this there. Jose's not here, but I was gonna ask him, do you think ever if you went to Harvard Business School and then you bought that book, what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School, you would actually know everything? <laughs> I think if you talk to somebody that went to Harvard Business School, they'd tell you the answer would be yes. <laughs> and trust me, I, I only make jokes about them because I didn't get in. Uh, so, all right, so the two myths, one that you, Business is complicated, it really isn't. The second is you have to follow a prescribed path. Um, so I was walking out of the building, actually on my way here. I was walking out of the building to come here and one of the data scientist guys that works for this company Untitled was walking down the stairs in front of me with, and, and because it was a Friday, it's weird time, it's summer. He had his two younger children with him. And the little girl, she had to be like seven. She goes, Dad, what do you, what do, you do in this building? Okay, and, and it was great. He, he goes, well, I take and I get data sets and I cleanse the data, transform it, create graphs and uh, show people how to augment their growth strategies <laughs> with data. And the little girl looks at him, I go, your dad helps people see things that they don't normally see. And she goes, oh, okay. So this is my example that inspired the idea that business really isn't that complicated. So I've done a lot of stuff because uh, I couldn't hold down a job for a long time. Uh, so I switched jobs every three or four years. Um, when I say I've seen the same thing happen three or four times, I was one of four people that did mergers and acquisitions work during the first dot-com era. I helped buy and sell and shut down and restructure 30 plus companies. I have the distinction of firing or overseeing the discharge of 6,000 employees. I was the head of HR for a publicly traded company even though I know nothing about HR. Um, since then I've done product work. I started a division, a software division for a major company. Uh, I've come to Louisville and I worked as, you know, basically a real estate agent where I got uh, hired to go in, change a startup and then sell it. I've started a company. I've uh, sat on a public company board, stuff like that. Now I say that because I'm certainly not bragging because you know, it's, it's, 
I have a checkered past of wild business experience. What, what kinds of questions or things could I help you all with if we said, hey, how about a Q&A session? Bueller? Bueller? I got one. No, I'm kidding. Please go ahead. So if you haven't borrowed any money at all, and you have those three people that you just showed the triangle, and there's obviously room for improvement, but you know that three are where they need to be to, to scale, but none of the three understand most of what went on here today, <laughs> as far as the VC ecosystem, how it works, how it goes. Uh, nor have they been to the 10 to 100 million mark. They've been to the couple of, several of us have been involved in half a billion, but we weren't the leadership. So they know how to kind of do it, but no one is really providing any value to take the company to the next level. So how do I bring in advice, advisement, help without giving away trade secrets and equity? Giving, without giving away what? Trade secrets and equity. I... I don't believe in trade secrets, so okay. well. um, I only believe in patents that relate to drugs, uh, preferably really good ones. Yeah, they get stolen anyway, so it's, yeah. it's true. But transparency you have to have. I get that. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit uh, bad or harsh on that, and I apologize. I shouldn't be, but I've, I, I've seen people that have come up and said, well, I own the patent for email, circa 2002. And I'm like, really? I don't think so. Um, but um, so how do you bring people in without giving away the farm and being taken advantage of? Yeah. So you interview people very carefully. You look for past experience. You get two opinions, not one. Um, I will tell you that what you're describing is a, is a problem that every company has, and it's a big problem. So there are, there are two kinds of problems. There are people problems, and then there are problems with you, which I guess if you're a person, then that means there's only one type of problem, and it's people problems. Okay, there's two books that I think of when I think about solving people problems. One is The Four Agreements, which, which is an interesting thing. It's the only book, it's the only book I ever got off the Oprah Book Club, right? I mean, I, I love the book. I read it probably once a quarter. What was the name of that? The Four Agreements. I, I'll have it in my slide deck too. I read it once a quarter because it's only 138 pages. I have it on audio and I can listen to 2X and there's a lot of wood flute in it and you know, I love jazz flute. Um, that book is really good to help you figure out you. But there's another book that was written in the 1950s to help people sell more. And it was, it's called People Styles at Work. It's a very simple view of people. It's not scientific. I had a data scientist not want to take the test. Steve, this isn't statistically correct. You know the sample isn't right. Yes, I do. You don't worry about taking the test. You're an analytical. Um, but, but I mentioned that not to answer your question, but because I think it's interesting. People have a little bit of that because I think that can be very helpful. And as you lead a company, you need to understand yourself and you need to understand people. But the biggest problem that I've seen is when companies start to grow, okay? Let's say, let's say you hit the home run and you've, you've gotten product market fit and oh my gosh, you've been anointed. You're, you zip through the first million in revenue and now at, when you cross that million dollar revenue line, you're special because only 4% of companies in the United States get past a million dollars in revenue. Only 4%. You should celebrate that. Wow, that's cool. But I'm gonna tell you, even with a great founding team, when you get to, and these aren't hard, fast numbers, please understand, every business is a little different. But let's say when you get to four and a half to five million, the wheels start coming off the bus. 
you've got to have <laughs> you got to have the, the, your you got to spend a lot more time on making sure everyone goes together in the same direction and the wheels start coming off the bus because now your founding team has to be managers and sometimes your great founding team are young energetic people who don't have a lot of experience and they've never been managers so now they're learning how to be managers and stuff starts happening. So now you, you, you get to four million. You go, oh, holy mackerel, we gotta bring people in that know how to be managers. So you do, you bring in one or two people, they really augment the team. You, you're off and running again. Within some magical amount of time, you now hit, let's call it 10 million. You get past 10 million, only four tenths, four tenths of 1% of companies in the United States get past 10 million. You're really special. You know, it's funny, VCs don't start really taking a company serious in an A round until they're on the run to 10 million. So I, I hear people all the time, oh, I'm gonna get VC money, and they are two guys because women are smarter and know that they're not gonna do that. They're two guys with an idea and a dream. We're gonna get VC money. No, you're not. That's, there's always exceptions, um, but only four tenths of 1% get to 10. So let's say you got there, congratulations. Uh, that's really magical. But now the wheels come off the bus again because your team your founding team, your great founding team, your best friends who have been working their asses off. You love them. You have them actually be the best man at your wedding. And now you're forced to come and say to this guy, hey, I love you. Thank you for working so hard. Now we can hire your boss because there's that, that person doesn't know how to be a manager of managers because around 10 million, 15 million, whatever the number is, at some point you have to get someone who understands being a manager of managers. And what you're talking about yeah. is similar to that problem. Like right. There's no simple answers. It's the hardest problem because it's a people problem and it affects your best friends who you started the company with. Sometimes it's you. What do you do? So it's just, it's really sad, it's really sad. I'm gonna preface with it's really sad. But do you know how many founders I've had to fire? It's horrible. Thank you for building such a great company. Why don't you sit over here? We're gonna get, bring in the adults. That's a very harsh way of saying it too, right? So this happens to everybody. At Capture, we got to 10 million. And I'm like, it's time for me to leave. First, and if you're a founder of a company, I encourage you to think about this. What do you enjoy doing, really? Do you, do you enjoy building a company and being a manager of managers, a leader who stops inventing stuff, maybe stops inventing stuff, right? Your job changes holistically if you're the CEO founder. In my case, the company, needed, the company needed somebody that could talk to customers, not a product guy. And I love doing product. So you have to replace yourself. If you don't wanna replace yourself, you have to change, you gotta share the job and carve off things that you're doing right now. And you gotta bring in people that can do it better than you while you take on the role and you skinny down what you do. So those, that's, a, that's a 15 minute answer to a 30 second question. You've described 80% of what's going on. So. I'm sorry that I took so long. That's great. What else? Does anyone have any other things that are causing them pain? I'm gonna, or issues. I yeah, thank you for, speaking because I can't see anymore. <laughs> um, you've talked a lot. All right, is this Chris Head from MobileSurf? This is Chris Head from MobileSurf. Dude, your smoked meat 
is amazing. That was, that was actually my question. Let's give it a hand. It was amazing. Now I gotta tell you, he gave me a chicken wing early and I was just like, oh my God. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, you've talked a lot about making sure that you're going in the same direction as your team. Yeah. Because inadvertently, to go in opposite directions. Uh, and the further you go, the harder it is to come back and get aligned, uh, and it sucks. Um, but then I also know your experience with um, selling your company, your experience with running out of cash, and <laughs> what the hell am I gonna do? How transparent do you think you should be with your team? How, like I'm sorry, how, to who? Your team. Okay, so. A team of four people, that's a team of 50. Yeah. Uh, how open? Because it's, being a founder, you run the highs and you run the lows five steps ahead of everybody else. So, so I'll tell you, uh, there, you know, this is, so let me back up and say, the, everybody wants, everybody uh, wants uh, a question that's black and white. There's got to be an answer. This isn't math. This is an art. It's not a science when you're the leader of a company. So I'm going to tell you what worked for me. It may not work for you. It may not work in every situation. And I'll tell you, I probably didn't do the same thing in every situation because all these things are fluid. But here's what I would say. I err on the uh, side of transparency. You know, if you're a team of 15 people and you're about to run out of cash, uh, I would say, hey, everyone, we're about to run out of cash. We need to work. Now, there's this thing in the book, Good to Great. It's called the Stockdale Paradox. And what it basically says is uh, Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He survived uh, until they were uh, freed while he saw many of the other people around him die. And the people around them that died either were, ah, oh, this is miserable, I hate this, I can't make it. I mean, you know, they're complaining about being a POW, come on. Uh, that is a little sarcasm. Please understand that. Don't anybody think I was being serious. Well, you're the one using acronyms again. Yeah, well, you're right. Um, the Stockdale Paradox says this, face the brutal reality, but all the time you're facing the brutal reality, don't give up that you can make it better or it can get better. And so let's say there's, you're a team of 15 and you're running out of cash. I would apply the Stockdale Paradox and I'd say, hey everybody, we're running out of cash, but don't worry. Here's, here's the plan for us getting past this. And here's also plan B. Now I might keep plan C and D in my pocket, but I would say it. If you're a larger company and you're running out of cash, your leadership team is, is by definition leaders are supposed to be. You should share the burden with them because the more people that can get on the, row, on the oars and row faster, mm -hmm. the better off you are. So that would, that would be my answer to that question. It doesn't work for every situation. It doesn't work for every human. Some people, some people can't take it. It's better for them to know because they can self-select out. Because let's say, let's face it, what we do, you guys, it's not for the faint of heart. It isn't. Why, you know, you know that song? Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be startup people. <laughs> yeah, because what we do isn't for the faint of heart. You've got to have this irrational belief in yourself and the team. So that's how I would answer that. Um, Someone runs in that problem and you say, but Steve, you don't understand. I'll say you're right. And you, you, you email me and I'll, uh, I'd love to hear your story. All right, what, what else? Do you have any advice if you are presented with too many opportunities but not the staff to support going after all of them? Oh. What if I have too many opportunities and I don't have the staff to go after them? That's what he said. Or asked, I should say. 
Yes, that's awesome. So in the third day of Finance 301, for all of you that took Finance 301, you'll remember that third day fondly, like I do. They talk about uh, lining up your investment opportunities on an ROI scale and allocating resources. Now, so what that means, because I used maybe jargon or I don't know, maybe some of you didn't go and get take finance. Uh, I find that hard to believe, but maybe. What you do is you, you look at each project independently and say, you make your best guesses as this project is worth $100 to me, this project's worth five cents, this project's worth $25 to me, but project that's worth $25 is really easy to do, and I'm sure it's gonna work. The project worth 100 is, there's just no way, and the project worth 10 cents is, is something I can do. You evaluate that for your expected return, meaning the one worth $10 or $25, the middle one is definitely a winner. You pop that up there, you're gonna do that first. The one that's the long shot, mm, but it has some other attributes it, that makes its overall benefit to the company great is number two, and you don't do the last one. And you lay them out, and then you do the ones that you have resources to do. So that's how I used to attack that problem. So a friend of mine went to Wharton. Now Wharton's where you go if you're a really good finance person, not like me. And he had a class where his professor said, you do all the projects that are positive. You do them all. You don't accept less. Oh, that's a very interesting statement. How do you do them all? You raise money. Now, see, we get back to the thing. If you have too many projects that are very beneficial, that is actually a really good reason to raise money. And if they're really that good, then someone who's very particular on investing will say yes and want to back you. That's how I'd attack it. And like everything else, what is business? It's easy, but it's an art. It's not a science. I like to say business is something you can do with crayons. You know, it's just like, you know, and it's that box of eight crayons. It's not like the 64 big box. You can do business with eight crayons. That's a simplistic answer to a complex question. And I don't usually like when someone says that, simplistic answers to complex questions to me. So you can hate me later. And, uh, but do try to think about it as far as expected return for your projects. And then one more thing I would throw in there, try to weight the ones that go along with the vision of your company higher than the ones that just make you money. Yeah, okay. yeah, you, because it would be better to, it, it sometimes is better to make less money on a project as long as it's squared down the path of where you want to take the company in the future. But I will tell you, what's fascinating is I ran across one where they kept coming in doing these stupid one-off projects. I'm like, why are you taking these? This is not servicing e-com clients. And they're like, Steve, they're paying us 100K and it's gonna take us a week. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so how many of them do you have? This is the third. We got two more that they want us to do. Like, maybe we should be in that business. So mine's like a tweak on his. Like, so what if you have a flood of opportunities, but your sales process is bottlenecked to one person who can close deals, and you have plenty of opportunities, but you don't have the money to build a sales team, and your channel's delivering? Like, how do you improve so, to replicate and scale the sales process if your sales process relies on one person? So I would, I would tell you that if all those facts are true, you should have enough money to build the sales team. Yeah. So there's, there's a fact in there that's twisted somewhere. Broken sales process, I think. Sure. Um, that is holding you back. So you got to, before, I, I think one really important thing out of that question is, What's the easiest way to scale a business? Add people, right? Uh, that's also the worst way. 
you, by having money and people, or by having money you would add people, that, because it's easy. But it's like the worst way. If you add people to a broken process, what you get is even a bigger broken process, yeah. right? So you gotta take time to iterate your business processes. Right? Yeah. I'm doing that right now. We have a little car company and they've doubled their revenue this year so far and scale breaks everything. So I was one day, one, one time, and this is back a few years, I was talking to this guy and he worked for Google and he was in charge of finding a new location for their data center. Now this is back away, so you please understand. It was like 2004, three, before they were public. And we're, 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 what do you do when you're talking to engineers? You're either playing magic or drinking. Uh, I can't remember which we were doing. And I said, so, so I said, he's like, oh, he's shaking his head. He's like, oh, I gotta go find a new data center. I'm like, really, what do you, what do you look for? He goes, well, I gotta, find a, I gotta find a stream. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, uh, we need hydropower because the scale's so bad, we gotta have clean power and the only way we figure we can get it is hydro. Did I get hydro right? It's water, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, Are you thirsty? Yeah, I didn't get my requisite bottle of water with this speech. Elizabeth did. Elizabeth did, but you know. Uh, yeah, so scale breaks everything is the where we went off track. Scale breaks everything, and uh, this guy was having trouble because they were at a scale at Google where they, they need to find a site near hydro, a, a dam. And I tell that story because you just wouldn't think about that. You know, I didn't. I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. But scale breaks everything and so you have to iterate. Yeah. Okay. Fix the process before you add people. Mm -hmm. Don't. Find the dam site? I'm sorry, <laughs> I guess they did, they went public, right? What if you hire somebody to build the scale process? What if that's why they're hired? build a process instead of fixing the process. Yeah, would you hire them or would you rent them? So I would encourage you to rent them. How do you do that? You find someone that's done it before. And you say, hey, will you help me? What are you doing in 15 minutes? Will you help me build this sales process for free? <laughs> All right. Well, Anything else? I don't know what time it is, but... Uh, uh, you talked about a lot of founders that end up... You've had to let go. I mean, happen to Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of politics in that, so you got to be right. careful, right? But what, what skill set would you recommend founders brush up on that might not be one of the hats they're wearing in that early round that they could go ahead and start working on if they're going to need as they approach those revenue markers? Okay, so... I think that early stage CEOs have to be almost almost have to be the quintessential jack of all trades, right? I mean, and meaning you don't wear every hat. You got to know enough not to get hoodwinked, or to be able to have good conversations. But if but let's 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 push that to aside for a minute, right? I, I, I swear to you, I, I try to get better at sales and marketing because I was a finance accounting person and I was trained on product. And I'm, I'm really bad at sales and marketing. Now that marketing is much more quant driven, I love it because it's math and I can kind of hang in. Um, but the, the books and the stuff that I read the most and spend the most time on is leadership. Building empathy. Uh, understanding people. Uh, I started reading a lot of bios. You know, very interesting. Ulysses Grant won the Civil War, not because he was the smartest guy, but because he had this work ethic that was unstoppable. And he built a strategy that was a war of attrition. And it worked for the Union Army because the Union had all the manufacturing and cut off access of the South to the rest of the world. And it was nasty. That's an example, I, that's an example of just reading bios for what can you get out of it. But leadership, you, you gotta be a good leader. You gotta figure out how to 
unlock the potential of a very diverse set of people. And you've got to be very empathetic because how easy is it to fire a founder? It's horrible. It's horrible, right? And so you've got to understand their feelings and then you've got to find any other thing you can do than fire them first. So, yes? So if you're a founder that's not, say, a CEO ready, what, what are your uh, other options? Like, do you have to get fired or? No. What would you recommend? <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly, certainly not. For someone else to join you. Certainly not. Certainly not. So you, typically the founder who has the vision uh, for the thing and is deeply passionate, a lot of times, a lot of time what they're really excellent at is building the product and interacting with clients. Sometimes they're the engineer that sat behind the thing and figured out how to code something that no one else had. So you got to look at if you're if you think that the person that is struggling is you, then you you have to really kind of try to understand yourself and what skills you have that are you're doing well at and what skills you're not doing well at. And I'll tell you, here's something, here's a question you can ask those around you that might help you identify what you really like and what you're good at. When I'm really stressed, you go to someone on your leadership team, you say, hey, when I'm really stressed, and you know when I'm stressed, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. What do I do? What do you find, what do you, what do you discover me doing when I'm really stressed? If his answer was coding, uh, or you always fall back to a product perspective, then, then that's what you enjoy and that's what you think you're good at. If that's what you do when you're stressed. So then what do you do? You go look for somebody that has a different set of skills than what you have. Let's say that when uh, I'm really stressed, I go around and I talk to every person, right? And I'm not sitting there doing the, the books like I used to when I'm really stressed and our cash projections suck and blah, blah, blah. Well, you need to go get a CFO to fill in your skill gap. Let's, let's go further and say, you realize that when you're really stressed, you like to go into a room and not talk to anyone. That's, you can't be CEO. And, and I'm, I'm gonna share that, that with you. If you're really stressed, and when you get really stressed, you go into a room and you don't wanna talk to anyone, you just wanna do work, that's great, but you're not going to, you're, you're not the person that should lead the company then. Because when, when the going gets really rough, the person who's the CEO has to be out in front, leading the charge to overcome the obstacles. So look at your skill sets, find someone to augment them. Just because you're not the person standing in the front of the room doing crazy ass speeches, that doesn't mean you don't, you can't be CEO. I've, I've known many CEOs who didn't get up and scream and shout and try to get everyone fired up. The head of sales did that and the CEO would come, calmly come in after and do two minutes of chat and talk about the goals and the hard stuff. So, This problem that I'm talking about is the biggest problem in startup that's growing. I call it the, I, I actually have a name for it. It's the, thank you for working so hard, now we can hire your boss problem, which is a sarcastic way of putting it. It's, but it is, it is one of the biggest problems for a growing company. All right, what else? You guys done, you're done with me? Is it over? I will tell you this. I, uh, I, I got two things to sum up before we leave. And I beg your indulgence for these last two, two things, okay? First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you're doing. The world needs us. The world needs people that are a little bit crazy, right? And if, if you say, I'm not crazy, odds are you don't know you're crazy. <laughs>
because you're here and you're doing startup stuff and yep. you know your mama shouldn't have let you do it, right? <laughs> but thank you for doing it. It's hard. It's what makes it fun. I mean, if it was easy, why would you want to do it? You could just go work for a big co, get paid your money, leave work at, on Fridays at 4.15, play golf, go to nice fancy dinners. Jeez, that sounds pretty good. Okay, anyway, thank you very much for doing that. The last point is thank you for letting me be here. I get so motivated coming and spending time with everyone. It really helps me. It gives me extra energy and allows me to go face Monday. But you're, you, I really do appreciate it, I, and I, I thank you. Everybody have a good, good night. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in this show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz, or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in and let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.